In the late hours of a warm August afternoon on August the 5th of 2007, little Sequoia Jackson and his brother were playing outside in the neighborhood. They were playing and enjoying the afternoon as most little boys do during the summertime days. and They were running around out in front of their home. They looked around and they had seen, of course, Others walking around in the neighborhood, the older brother, Ronnie Jr., or he was known as Daddy-O to his family, called out to his brother that they need to be careful about these kids that were walking through the yards. And what they saw was a couple of teenagers, older teenagers, walking one direction, and they crossed paths with another teenager by the name of Sean Howard. What they may known that they may have not have known is that they were actually members of rival gangs. And unfortunately, being members of rival gangs, obviously, they didn't like each other. As they passed by one another, the voices were heard shouting. They they were shouting obscenities and words that you and I would probably never use in public or in private. They were showing their anger, their frustration with one another. They, see, they wore different colors. They hung out with different people. And unfortunately, instead of settling their dispute with words or even with fists, Sean Howard decided he wanted to settle the dispute with a gun. I told my wife I wasn't going to get emotional, but I probably will. Sean Howard picked up his gun, pointed the gun across over at these other teenage boys that he didn't like. He didn't really even know them. Shot the gun. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for those young men, Sean Howard was a bad shot. He didn't hit them. What he did hit was Scoria. The bullet entered his back, severed his spinal cord, went through his right lung, and it embedded into the cavity of the small boy. (laughs) Daddy-O did what he could to help his brother. He picked his limp body up, tried to take care of him. But it was no use. He had died instantly. Little Scoria, who seven days later would have turned four, died. You know, his story is not the only one that rings true in my mind. And you see now even, man, I prosecuted this case in 2009. It still gets me. And it's cases like Little Sequoia that reminds me in my mind each and every day what life is really about. And in fact, as I go to my job every day and as 
Dean said, I have been doing, being a prosecutor since 2004, and that's all I've done in my life. And, and every day as I go to work and as I think about the cases and I work toward the goals that I have for me, these stories ring out in my mind. And in fact, they literally become somewhat of a wall of, of victims, figuratively speaking. I don't have these photos on my wall, but they're in my mind. And I think about all these cases and I think about all these victims of crimes that truly have formed what my mind is and what my mind considers law and order in this world we live in. Think about Virginia Freck. She was 93, I believe, if I remember correctly. I was trying to remember how old she was, but she was in her 90s when... She had come down with Alzheimer's and dementia and no longer could care for herself. And she had a, I guess what I'll call a family friend that was trying to help her with the finances. And and instead of taking care of her, he used her. And in fact, cashed out more than two and a half million dollars of her savings and her investments and stole it from her blind. Instead of taking care of her, she couldn't care for herself. Instead of caring for her, Joe Giddens took advantage of her and used that power of attorney that he had instead of to care for her, but to steal from her. I remember Sylvia Perry, who was shot and killed by a a scornful, a jealous, and angry ex-boyfriend who had come home and for leave from the Navy, and they had had a history of domestic violence, and in fact, her poor body that was later recovered showed the damage that he had done around her eye earlier in the day before he decided to shoot her and kill her. She died on her way to the hospital as a friend tried to save her life. I remember Mark Ciotat, or or we like to call him Little Mark. He was a little person or a midget. I asked his family, I said, what do we call him? They said, it doesn't matter, just call him Little Mark. Little Mark was a truck driver. He drove a big rig truck, although he was not even four foot tall. They had made his rig where he could drive it, and he drove it for his family, made deliveries. And and in fact, one night when he was pulling out from a delivery over at the American Cookie Company over in East East Chase, he was pulling onto the ramp of I-85 and pulled to the side and unfortunately was attacked by two men who wanted to rob him at gunpoint. They didn't realize what kind of a heart of courage that this little guy had. He didn't give up without a fight, and in the fight that ensued, his truck careened into a light pole there off the the on-ramp of I-85, and he died mangled up inside the carnage of his truck. But his big heart and his courageous mentality allowed us to catch the offenders because they were pinned down as well. And so they were caught and they were convicted. I remember Keith Houts. I mean, of you may remember this case as well, but he's one of what I would say Montgomery's finest. And I remember prosecuting the one who shot and killed him. And all, uh, all Officer Houts did was pull him over for a traffic violation, and he walked up to the side of the car. And I'll never forget, because it was my job during the trial to do the examination of the dash video of the five shots that rang out from that driver's side window and killed Keith Houts in the line of duty. 
Little did he know that when he pulled him over for that mere traffic stop, that would be the last traffic stop that he would ever do. It was the last time, and he would never see his wife again or hug his mom or dad again. He would never see or talk to his sister again. He would lose his life there that night or that day in the line of duty serving our community. I remember little Preston, little Preston Caton, three-year-old boy who was murdered by his own father that I prosecuted. And in my mind, I remember going through that trial when I had a three-year-old at home, asking myself, who would do this to their own child? I remember Cornelius Thomas, who was on the phone with his father when he heard a struggle, when he heard yelling and shouting, and when he heard that, he got off the phone and ran around the block. He lived a block away from his father and ran to the house to find out what was going on, busted into the door, and instead of being able to help his father, he was shot and killed in the doorway. I remember Brenda Sherrard, who was beaten with the fists, and gun after she and her husband Johnny had just gone to Captain D's to get some dinner that night, got out of their car in their driveway and were beaten so badly that she died. I remember Brent and Charlotte Springford who were beaten to death by their own son as they came home from celebrating Thanksgiving dinner together and in total surprise did not realize that would be the last Thanksgiving they would ever spend together. I remember Elizabeth Frazier, who was shot six times by her boyfriend, and her 16-month-old son was found lying in her blood when the police arrived. You know, and I even remember these gambling casinos. A lot of people think they don't mean a whole lot. But the casinos at Victory Land and at Green Track down at Center Stage in Dothan and all these other places where I have been able to be involved in shutting down what we would say is illegal gambling in this state because they refuse to follow the laws. You know, as I prosecuted these cases and, and many others, they've, they've helped form and shape my view of law and order in my life the, the, in prosecuting murders and thefts and illegal drugs and child abuse, even illegal gambling, I've come to realize what law and order really means. And to me, that would be seeking justice for those who are victims and upholding the laws which have been properly passed and are in effect in our state. It's, it's not a matter of public opinion. It's not a matter of personal preference. It's a decision that I will stand up and I will fight and I will make sure that those who may not be able to speak have a voice that's heard. Because that's what law and order requires. Law and order requires that we seek to deter disobedience in this world. And we encourage citizens to uphold and obey the laws of our country and of our state. And in fact, the more I've thought about my, my, my job as I've prepared for this lesson, the more that I have come to realize and think about the serious implications and the, the parallels that it is with us in our Christian lives. How often is it that we truly think about those things we have been commanded to do? How often is it that we seek to serve and to protect and to do those things which God would have us to do. 
You know, I hope for many of us it's on a, a daily basis, but as we think about that, seeking to order our lives and to do the things which God wants us to do in our lives, it's a principle that we really see throughout God's Word, that as we read cover to cover, it's hard to miss that very bold concept that God wants us to obey and to order our lives so that we follow Him. So that our lives resemble those things which He created within us. That we strive to make sure that we can not just enjoy a nation of laws and of statutes and rules, but that we covet and create a nature of respect and love and obedience in our own lives so that it will spread throughout the country around us. Laws and regulations are to be complied with. And any violation or disobedience must be identified and dealt with so that it will not become a hindrance to future obedience. Order is sought by seeking justice. Justice is often defined as the maintenance or the administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishment. I think that's a little bit long. It's also defined as this, the fair and just administration of law. And that's what we as Christians should always strive for whether it's in our job or whether it's in our lives. And as I've thought long and hard to think about what to convey to you about a Christian's view on law and order, it's come to my thought process that we've got to take seriously what law and order means to us as Christians, as citizens, but also in our Christian lives. As we think about it, the concept of justice is so intertwined with regard to our lives and, in, and with regard to the idea and concept of law and order that as we pursue these two main tenets of our civilization, they are things which God says are good. These things are things that God has ordained and allowed to occur and order. And justice should be the goal of not just the civilized nation, but all of those who want to follow God. Real quickly with me. Think about the history and what we see in the scriptures with regard to law and order and how we can see God's order there. And from the very beginning, we see God's order, don't we? We see all the way from um, Genesis chapter 2 there, starting in verses 15 through 17, the, the idea and concept there that the Lord God created man. And when he created man, he placed him in the garden, it says, verse 15, that to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded Adam there, the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And so we see from the very outset of time, the very beginning of creation that God has ordained and created laws for man to live under. And once there's a violation of laws, that violation is to be disciplined. It is to be corrected. It is to be, dare we say, punished. That's what we see in the Garden of Eden, right? As you keep reading the, the chronicles there of the beginning of time and as Adam and Eve transgressed and sinned in the Garden of Eden, what happened to them? They were punished God merited them with punishment because of their deeds. They had disobeyed, they had transgressed, and so God there saw fit to place order back in place. 
Throughout the patriarchal laws and years, uh, God continues to demand and expect the creation to follow and obey his commandments and laws. Think about Noah. When obedience did not occur and evil corrupted the entire earth, it was destroyed. Why? Because it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Despite God's sorrow for making man, despite his frustration and seeing sin constantly around him, he found favor with one man in his family, and that would be Noah. And because of that, Noah, being found righteous, blameless, and walking with God, was allowed to continue to live. All else were wiped out. You talk about law and order. God placed that law into place. They did not follow that law. The way to correct that and to maintain the order that God has in life was to correct it and destroy the earth. Abraham left his homeland at God's insistence. He obeyed God. He almost killed his own son because God ordered him to do so. He obeyed him on every facet because he knew that maintain that relationship with God, law and order with him must be maintained and obeyed. It must be followed through. And his sons understood that as well. That's why they're named over in Hebrews as part of the hall of faith that we commonly call them because they understood the concept that law and order requires obedience and love and and following through with what God wanted them to do in their lives. And so we see that law and order was maintained from the very beginning. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. God wanted man to act a certain way from the very beginning. And he required them to do so. Job chapter 12, verse 23, it says, He reveals mysteries from the darkness and brings the deep darkness into light. God allowed us to know what those commandments were, what we should do to follow and obey those commandments so that we would not be lost. We see God's order even from creation, but we also see it as you move on into the the kings and the prophets. If you know anything about the biblical history, and I know a lot of us maybe not as well versed on the Old Testament history, it's very interesting if you want to read it. What you see is that time and time again, king after king after king, uh, you're going to see uh, a, a very much a pattern of behavior where law and order is established. Why? Because God makes sure that if that king does not obey his commandments, that king is taken down. And you're going to see that, that law and order is maintained there for the people of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Even after the people of Israel demanded the earthly king that this, the, the rule of law remain and God continued to, to demand order there among the people. Time after time, God showed that the order must be maintained. When a king refused to rule according to God's prescribed laws, we see defeat and disaster. Remember King Ahab? If you read the story of King Ahab, you'll see nothing but disaster and ruin there because King Ahab refused to acknowledge and obey God. When a king followed God, maintaining proper order according to God's laws, the kingdom was blessed and it thrived. It lasted and endured for many, many years. They would conquer other nations. They would be blessed. They would multiply. Now think of King Josiah who finally found the scrolls and found the word of God there and he reestablished things. He set forth judges throughout all the nation to judge righteously according to God's laws and God's commands. And therefore he reigned for many, many years. Other kings may have disregarded it, but they were quickly reminded of what law and order meant in God's eyes. 
King Saul, if you'll remember, was commanded to destroy all of the Amalekites. Utterly destroy is, I think, the word usually used in translations. But Saul decided he didn't want to obey God. And instead he saved King Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, and also the choice oxen and the choice animals to come back. And and in his mind, his intention was to sacrifice them to God, but that's not what God wanted. God had not commanded those things. And because of that, God's law and order required correction. And so as Samuel approached Saul, as he came back, hearing the bleeding of the lambs and seeing that King Agag was indeed alive, Samuel took the sword and he cut off the king's head in front of all. Why? Because law and order had to be established. You go through the prophets, and during this time, of course, during the, the, the ruling of the kings and, and really the, the, the disappointment of many of the kings, there were prophets that stood up and they would speak and they would admonish and they would correct and they would try to, to remind the people what they needed to do. In fact, they could not turn their backs on God. And so what did they say? The prophets yelled, and they screamed, they begged, and they pleaded for the people of Israel and the kingdom of Judah to turn back to God instead of all the idols that they worshiped instead of doing all the things contrary to God's laws because order required that God's laws be obeyed and followed and if they're not of course justice demands consequences to remove the disobedience Nehemiah says this but as they had rest they did evil again before you therefore you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them When they cried out again to you, you heard from heaven and many times you rescued them according to your compassion and and admonished them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he shall live. And they turned uh, turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffed their necks, and they would not listen. The people turned their backs on God. And so prophet after prophet called out, trying to call them back to repentance. Isaiah says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering, and I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. If they would just turn to God, Isaiah says, they will be recognized as being from God. Why? Because God's order demanded it. God's order required it. And without that turning back to God, God was going to be vengeful. He was going to be angry. What does God require? Well, Micah chapter 6, verse 8 is a passage where the prophet Micah called out, and a lot of us prosecutors like to use this passage. It's a very good one for those of us who are out there prosecuting and, and seeking justice. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Thus has the Lord of hosts said, uh, dispense true justice, Zechariah says. Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion to each of his brother. And don't oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Hosea chapter 12 verse 6. The plea from Hosea there, the prophet of God saying, Therefore return to your God 
observe kindness and justice and wait for your God continually. Time and time again, the prophets told what God required. They informed the people of what was needed. But yet they did not always heed it. Thankfully, the remnant did was saved. And, and as you see on into Jesus' teaching, we see uh, other, uh, other passages that help to reveal what God's order should be for us and the fact that he demands law and order from us. We see that the Lord, of course, was clear that our obedience and submission to God is going to be necessary to maintain proper order in our special, our spiritual relationship. In John chapter 14, verse 15, a passage many of us know, Jesus says there, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And in the next chapter over, in chapter 15, verses 4 through 10, as he's talking about what we commonly call the, the parable of the vine and the branches, uh, there's a lesson there for us with regard to staying with regard to God's law and his order to maintain that relationship with him. Jesus says there, starting in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it will be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And God's order, the requirements that we have to maintain order within our lives is also uh, pointed out by Christ and his teachings with regard to the Pharisees because the Pharisees sometimes would just miss the point altogether we know. They would sometimes get so involved in things they would fail to realize what is more important or what may be more weighty than others. Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus says there, Woe to you Pharisees, you pay the tithe of men and rue and every kind of garden herb and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. And Jesus was always quick to emphasize that God will always bring justice for those who are called unto him. In Luke chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, Jesus says, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith on earth? Which is a, an interesting question as you think about the law and order of God. There always seem to be the ebb and the flow of faithfulness to God as you go throughout every era there, either prescribed in history or here in the Bible. You see that, that law and order is always given. The, the requirements of what we should do and, and how we should do things and what mentality we should have is, is always expressed to us all the way from the beginning, all the way to the kings and the prophets and then to, even to Jesus' teaching. But we also have the, the commandments today that help us see what God's order should be in our lives here today toward Christians in our current modern era. We're continually challenged to remember to follow the things set up by God in our daily living. Our obedience and, and following God's laws, they allow proper order to exist in our lives. Not just at church, but heeding and following and, and obeying God's commands give us the proper order in all of our lives as we go out throughout this world today, whether it's practicing law or serving in government or teaching at school or, or selling insurance. Whatever it may be, God's order helps prescribe 
the right remedy for us. Gives us that stability, gives us that assurance that we will have a proper order in our lives. If you think of the passages of Scripture most commonly talking about our government and, and what allows government to occur, you're going to look at Romans chapter 13, no doubt, and you're going to look over at 1 Peter chapter 2, usually around verses 13 through 17, and you're going to see there that God has ordained governments. He's allowed them to exist. He's allowed them to be there. If you remember throughout all of history, God's allowed the governments to exist. Uh, when the, even when it was His theocracy type of a government with him at the head of of all he helped rule he helped control and then when the people got tired of God they wanted a king like all the others right we see of Israel and Judah that, that's that's a mindset that they had and they perpetuated then an earthly government God allowed those things to happen it may not have been the best option it may not have been the best course for them, but that's what he allowed to occur. And we see around us today a world full of varying governments around us today. And what the scriptures entail, what they, they give to us is that God allows those to exist. Now how and why, I can't give you all the answers to those things. But God allows those governments to exist. He allows us to have a governance uh, over us by people who make laws, who choose paths, and hopefully those pathways are going to be in accordance with God's Word. I would recommend to you a new book coming out soon by AP. It's called God and Government that Dave Miller just recently wrote, and I was very thankful I got to review it and write a little bit of a, a recommendation for it. But it establishes, no doubt, that the unalienable rights that we commonly look to with regard to our Christian lives, and we think about with regard to our constitutional rights, really are ingrained within what God has given to us even before the government of the United States was ever in existence. They are rights to have liberty. They are rights to live. They are rights uh, that allow us to, to enjoy happiness within God's measures. They are things that cannot be taken away from us. And toward Christians today, we are challenged to remember the confines of that governance. There must be law and order in our lives and God prescribes those things eloquently for us in the scriptures so that we will know, we will be challenged to follow those things set out by God so that we will not stray and we will be able to maintain what that law and order may be uh, throughout all of our lives. Martin Luther King has a quote here and I think it's actually in the letter from the Birmingham jail if I remember correctly. Uh, but if not, please don't be angry with my uh, remembrance. But he says this, Law and order exist for the purpose of establishing justice. And when they fail in this purpose, they become the dangerously structured dams that block the flow of social progress. Now, I think I want to take this a little bit different. Obviously, we know that the, the gist of this was talking about the civil rights uh, era back in the 1960s where they were fighting for equality, uh, rightfully so, I believe. And you see the fact that law and order is supposed to be there for us. It's supposed to be a tool that helps engage justice, that allows things to be proper and in their place. That's the whole purpose of law and order. And if they don't work the way they're supposed to work, then justice is not there. There is no equal treatment. There is no proper treatment. And in fact, when you think about God's overarching plan for our lives, and when you think about God's overarching scheme that He put in place at the very beginning of time, you see the fact that when law and order exists, they exist for a purpose. 
They exist for a reason so that men and women will be able to live in a way that is productive to them. Their lives become ordered for a purpose. And it's not stifled, it's not blocked, it's not uh, hindered in any way, form, or fashion if law and order are proper in their placement. But in fact, it allows things to progress to the point where we can do what God wants us to do in ways that God wants us to do things with the attitudes that God wants us to have. Think real quickly with me as you pursue order in life and as we think about these things real quickly as we conclude. I want to think about these quick points. There's a couple of lessons that I've learned in my 12 plus years of, of being a prosecutor and, and pursuing law and order and pursuing justice on a daily basis. One is I can't do it by myself. You know, there is a very interesting, I almost played the theme song for Law and Order as you think about it. And I think about the opening line there, if you've ever watched Law and Order, which it used to be on TNT like all the time uh, there. But there was, you know, there's two distinctive branches of government, you know. Uh, you know, you think about that kind of concept where you have different people doing different functions and roles. And in fact, when you think about prosecuting cases, you can't do cases by yourself. No matter how talented you are, or how smart you may be, I've learned you cannot seek to do it alone. You cannot seek order. You cannot pursue justice by yourself. I've also realized that you've got to do the right thing regardless of what you do. And I think as my Christian view of what law and order is, it's the idea of not just leaning on others for their expertise and their abilities, but also to look to what is the right thing to do. Whether it's dismissing a case or whether it's pursuing the death penalty, I have tried to do the right thing. I think a Christian should always choose to do the right thing as they're engaged in whatever practice it may be. But I've also learned the fact that You've got to make sure you're, you are grounded in truth. And when you're prosecuting a case and obviously dealing with those type of, of issues, you're always going to want to make sure that what you're being told is correct. can't tell you how many times that I put a witness on the stand and their story changes. It's not a very comforting thought. In fact, Bob, my stomach commonly drops when that happens. You've got to be grounded in the truth. You've got to know what there is that is right and wrong. And the truth, of course, Jesus says, will set you free. And I commonly use that phrase sometimes, even with witnesses, to make sure that they come clean and they tell the things that they need to tell. They tell them in the correct ways. They give me all the details and all the information. But as you pursue order, I think that I've learned in my life that as a Christian, you've always got to be grounded in truth. And finally, as you deal with cases, as you pursue justice you've always got to stay focused on your goal of course the goal in my life has always been a conviction uh, I can't say that I'm 100% always getting the convictions I can say I rarely lose but what I can say is that you're always focused on a goal whenever you are working to pursue justice when you are wanting and striving for that law and order around you you have that goal in place and as I thought about these lessons that I've learned, I've thought about how applicable they are to us as Christians, even in our lives today. Think about seeking life alone and seeking to pursue order in your life. It's not easy to do it by yourself, is it? I think back to the Garden of Eden. 
There was a distinctive reason there in chapter 2 of Genesis where, where God says it's not good for man to be alone, right? And there is a good, good reason for that. Two are so much better than one. And, and I understand it may not be a marriage in everyone's purview, and that's fine. I will say I would not be the man that I am today without my wife. And I'm not going to look at her because I don't want to cry. I would not be the man that I am today without having Christian brethren to be able to lean upon. I commonly say it when I hear about people losing those that they love, that I don't see how they go through it without a church family. I don't understand. I don't get it. Uh, I haven't really gone through something catastrophic like that, but I've seen others who have, and I've been parts of families who... Uh, who have experienced that type of a loss. And I think the scriptures support that. The, the idea of us being together, us encouraging and edifying one another, whether it's Romans chapter 15 and verse 2 or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, the idea of building and edifying one another is so very important. You know, the reason why I come to Bible study on Wednesday nights and why I come to PM worship on Sunday evenings isn't always because I, I necessarily am in a good mood that night. It's not always because I am rested that night. It's not always because I don't have anything better to do that night. It's because I want to be there to be encouraged to not only be uplifted myself, but hopefully to strengthen others. You cannot seek law and order in your lives alone. We must always do the right thing. James chapter 1, verse 22, of course, there says the one who knows to do good and does not do it, to him that's sin. And of course, that's pretty profound to us. If we know we're supposed to do good and we don't do it, then obviously we're in a heap of trouble when it comes to God. You think about Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15, the idea there to do good unto others, to strive and to do what God would want us to do. Uh, it's very important. And so as we pursue order, as we pursue order in our lives spiritually, individually, as a family, we must realize we must always do the right thing come what may. It may not always be an easy pill to swallow, but doing the right thing is always the right thing. I've realized that keep grounded in truth is much more applicable in my personal and spiritual life than it ever will be in my professional life. It's important, obviously, to, to have the truth come out in court, to not convict falsely somebody who may not have committed a crime. You hear those horror stories, I think, all the time. And obviously, it's always a concern of the community and society around us when that occurs. But in our personal and our spiritual lives, being grounded in truth is so much more important. Making sure that what we see in the Bible is what we practice, that what we read in the Bible is, is what we obey. And making sure that what we have and what we know to be truth is stored away inside of us so that we abide in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 4. The idea there is, is always to strive after those things which are true. Keep those things in our minds so that when we pursue law and order in our Christian, in our spiritual lives, things are on track because we know we are grounded in the truth. We are strong. We stand firm. We know that we stand up against those things which are untruthful. We know that we stand up and we talk about those things which are not in accordance with God's word because we are grounded and we stand firm in truth. And also as we pursue order in our lives, we stay focused on a goal. 
Now, in Christian living, there are several different goals we could probably plug into this blank if we really wanted to put it that way. Obviously, our goal ultimately would be heaven with God, that we want to be faithful, we want to obey, we want to do those things which God has asked us to do. We want to make sure that we endure and we are doing things which are correct. But as you think about your everyday living and your approach there, what is your goal in your daily living as you pursue that order, that oneness, that proper relationship with God? Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do in word or in deed, you do all in the name of God. We understand that the ultimate authority is always and always will be God in our lives. Unfortunately, we're out of time, and I'm going to skip this one, and I may leave that for the invitation. But think about this, and I love this verse. I have to say I had to use a version I don't, don't normally use just because I wanted the, the phrase law and order in there. Uh, but I, I think it denotes exactly what the passage is meant to say. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says this. Without guidance from God... Law and order disappear, but God blesses everyone who obeys his laws. In my life, a Christian's view of law and order is to speak up when necessary, to make sure that those things which we stand upon, those things which we stand firm in, those things which we have as our goals in life are those things which God has set as our goals in life. If our attitude and our mentality and, and what we pursue in life isn't in conjunction and, and congruent with what God has established as His law and His order, then we're seriously misplaced. It's a privilege to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. It's a mighty big burden some days. And I can only tell you some of the photographs that are in my mind that I will never replace. Teenagers, we need to talk about the idea of things going in your mind and not getting out. I'll tell you some horror stories one day. Because they're there. They're there. But as a Christian views law and order, I think more than anything, our view should be premised on this. That God's word is law. And we must order our lives in accordance with that law. Doing anything less, anything less would be a travesty. Thank you for your kind attention. Let's close with a word of prayer if you don't mind.